The Pacific island of Nauru lies 3,000 kilometres northeast of Australia and is one of two offshore detention centres used by the Australian government since 2013 to house asylum seekers who arrived by boat. When the British sea captain and whaler John Fern set foot there in 1798, he called it Pleasant Island. But pleasant is not a word that springs to mind if you Google Nauru these days. Australia's controversial policy of denying asylum seekers resettlement on the mainland has attracted widespread condemnation from human rights groups. But these pale into insignificance alongside more recent allegations of assault, sexual abuse, self-harm and child abuse at the Nauru Centre. The so-called Nauru files were published by the Guardian newspaper on the 10th of August. A week later, Nauru's president claimed the allegations by caseworkers, guards, teachers and doctors who filed the incident reports were cucked up. The Guardian's analysis shows 51% of the, t of the more than 2,000 reports involved children, although children were only about 18% of those in detention at the time. This week, the BMJ published an editorial by David Berger, calling on doctors to act. Hello, David. Hi. Hello. So, so David, tell us, um, we're delighted that you wrote this for us, but tell us what prompted you to accept our invitation to, you know, to go public on this issue. Um, well, I've been involved in uh, the refugee issue in Australia uh, really since since the beginning of last year. And uh, you know, things just go from bad to worse. And uh, this the, the, the whole situation just rumbles on and on. And we, we now have have uh, over 2000 people incarcerated on Nauru and Manus Island uh, offshore uh, uh, in really appalling conditions uh, and detained indefinitely. Um, and it's become increasingly apparent that actually the more evidence that comes out, it not only seems to make no difference, it, it almost seems to solidify the situation. So I think that the time's really come now where doctors actually have to act. You've, you've written a very um, you very hard hitting editorial. Um, I think that's fair to say. And I, I just want you to clarify, you know, where you think the where your anger is specifically focused on, and who you feel is responsible for this state of affairs. My anger in this is directed towards the Australian government, which is subjecting these people to really inhuman treatment. And we've had amnesty. We've had the UN calling their treatment torture. These are innocent people incarcerated indefinitely in appalling conditions. And we include children here. There are children incarcerated on Nauru in terrible conditions. Uh, none of these people have committed a crime uh, uh, and, and they have no future at all. So, and, and in terms of the opposition to the, to the government, I know there was a re there was an election recently in Australia, wasn't there? Who who is um, who is taking on the government in terms of the opposition party? There is strong bipartisan support on both sides uh, of of the house, um, and in fact, the current policy was instituted by the Labour government when it was in power in two thousand thirteen, uh, and carried on by the the Liberal National Party. The real voices. Uh, that are calling for an end to the inhuman treatment of refugees come from the more fringe parties and most notably the Greens. You, you know, if you say, well, we should stop treating these people in such a beastly fashion, you're automatically labelled by the mainstream uh, politicians as a, as a kind of loony left or a, a loony greedy. Uh, and, and that's just completely wrong. Mm. And, and how how is the um, the sort of opposition of the Australian Medical Association being received by the by the political establishment in Australia? Uh, it's ignored. 
Okay. Uh, and 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 pretty much, uh, uh, you know, it, it it doesn't matter who says anything and and what their credentials may be. It's ignored. But worse than being ignored, uh, in 2015, we had an act of parliament passed here in Australia called the Border Force Act, which was supported by both both major parties uh, in Australia. One of the key provisions of the Border Force Act uh, is that it brought into um, uh, reality the potential of a two-year prison sentence for anyone involved in the care of asylum seekers who speaks about even the conditions, the general conditions of asylum seekers without government permission. And that includes, and this is what is incredible, a doctor in a public hospital in Australia who happens to treat an asylum seeker. They become an entrusted person under Section 42 of the Border Force Act. Uh, and, and, uh, and that puts us as doctors in... Uh, in um, huge conflict with our ethical duty. And in fact, I'm an executive committee member of Doctors for Refugees, which, as the name suggests, uh, is a group of doctors advocating for the rights of refugees. Uh, and we uh, are in the process of mounting a high court challenge to those, uh, to those provisions. Indeed, you, you were very outspoken in March this year, weren't you, when you, um, you spoke out in support of some Brisbane paediatricians who refused to discharge uh, the baby daughter of an asylum seeker and were risking a two-year jail sentence. Um, has, there been an update? Right. has there been an update on that case since? No, there hasn't. Uh, there was no guarantee given that that baby and the family would not be sent uh, back to Nauru. Um, I think one, one important point to make is um, uh, increasingly we've got health professionals, teachers, or all kinds of people involved with asylum seekers who are speaking out, who are breaking the law and potentially risking um, a prosecution and a prison sentence. And we had a hundred former workers on Nauru who wrote a letter last week. We've had a former teacher on Nauru who's appeared on television last week, uh, castigating the conditions. And of course, no one has yet been prosecuted under this provision. uh, I I suspect it was probably never the government's intention to prosecute under under this provision, but merely to hang this threat over people's heads, to clamp down on discussion and to make people think twice and to self-censor. And that is very chilling in in, in a democracy. Um, We've talked about the Australian Medical Association, but could could you tell us a little bit about what you're planning sort of on the ground for grassroots doctors in Australia to really add their voice to this campaign? Um, Well, what we'd like uh, to do is we're calling for uh, doctors to march, the the beginning of November. Um, It's going to be, the march will be in Sydney, starting from Sydney Hospital, what we want is doctors of all ilks, other health professionals and anyone else who wants to support and to show physically in the streets that this is not acceptable in a civilised country in 2016. I mean, I can't believe that we're having to call for this. I don't know if anything will change as a a result of this. I just know that we have an ethical duty to protest and to say, you know, we're your doctors. We are the people to whom you entrust the most serious, the most grave ethical decisions 
which affect your lives, which affect everybody's lives. And we are saying that this is completely wrong. It is inhumane, it is evil, and that a civilized country like Australia cannot treat innocent people who are seeking refuge in this fashion. And if you don't listen to us, you're not going to listen to anybody. Mm. I mean, you've made some very powerful comparisons in the editorial, David, with a sort of international situation in other countries where, um, you know, similar situations are happening. And you've alluded to the Brexit debate. And, um, you know, here in the UK, we've heard a lot about Australia's hardline asylum seeker policy during that debate. And it, it is at odds, if I'm honest, with our image of Australia as literally this nation whose culture has been enriched by immigration. And you yourself, as you've said earlier, you know, you're a, you're a UK doctor um, who, has, who has chosen to, to migrate to Australia. Do you, this must make you especially sensitive to the situation um well it does um uh, uh you know it's odd because australia is a fantastic country as you said it's full of immigrants it's extremely welcoming uh people when you meet them are just absolutely lovely and charming and they do fit all those positive stereotypes but i think what's happened here as has happened in the debate in europe is that there has been a conflation of uh, terrorism with migration, with asylum seeking, and there's this whole cloud of fear has been stoked, I think, for political, uh, for political purposes. And it has resulted in the public mind here in Australia, it's this, this image that, you know, the country is under assault. So, David, when yeah. I was when I was reading round, you know, sort of your um, this issue, I came across came across the blog you wrote for newmatilda.com, where you know you talk very eloquently about your you, you know your own family's situation and background and, and history of immigration. Just tell us a little bit about that because I know it's I know it's influenced um, you know the very strong stance you're taking here. Well, it's had a huge uh, it's had a huge influence. My mother was a refugee from the Nazis. She came to Britain uh, at the age of fourteen in nineteen thirty eight. Uh, her father, who was a doctor, was unable to come to Britain because there were no visas on offer for German Jewish doctors, and he ended up in Egypt. My mother's mother, my grandmother, uh, ended up. Uh, as a refugee in Chile. Uh, my father uh, was uh, the child of Jewish refugees who came out of Poland as a result of the pogroms before the First World War. So in terms of refugee consciousness and refugee heritage, I feel very strong identification uh, with uh, refugees. And, and, and of course, Jewish refugees in the 1930s, nobody wanted them. I mean, they were vilified. They were not welcome. Uh, the BMA, I have to say, was not vocal at all, in fact, or the BMJ on the, on the treatment of Jews in Germany or the treatment of uh, Jewish doctors. Um, so I think it's absolutely vital, certainly for me personally, but for all of us, uh, to stand up and say when when uh, refugees are are being ill ill treated. 
Thank you, David. Just one final point, I suppose, is you, you've you described your love of Australia. I think that's come through very strongly here, and you're obviously doing a fantastically um, important job up there um, in, in the territory where you're working. I mean, to anybody thinking of going to Australia that may have concerns around, you know, sort of the human rights track record and some of these allegations, what would you say to them? Well, you know, I would say, show me a perfect country and I'll move there because there ain't a perfect country. Um, Australia remains uh, a very welcoming country to immigrants. It is still uh, a well-functioning democracy. Uh, I'm not going to get arrested for going and protesting in the streets in Sydney. Uh, I would say, you know, if you're thinking of, of moving to, I don't want to deplete the NHS here, but if you're thinking of moving to Australia, it's a fantastic place to live and, and to work as a doctor. You've been listening to David Berger discuss the plight of asylum seekers at the Nauru Island Detention Centre in the Pacific. Read the article in full online. If you want to contribute to the debate, leave a response. David also argued that doctors should boycott working in the detention centres in an earlier head-to-head debate for the BMJ. You'll find links to those articles in the podcast text. Thanks for listening.